for just a second. I'm going to quote it for you, I hope. So, uh, all right, everybody right there? This fits right in with our passage today. Trying to help you connect. We're talking about uh, mystery managers is our title of our message, and this is the second point. Last week we looked at Paul was a mystery manager. He, he managed the mysteries of God. And that was his job, to teach people the Word of God and to reveal those things that have been hidden for years. This morning, we're going to talk about Paul says he's a spectacle. He's a spectacle to the world. That's what we are. We're a spectacle to the world. And Paul talks about true Christianity. Now, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we, we, most of us know that or we've heard it enough. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And then Paul says, don't be, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, this is a reasonable act of worship or service for you so that you can come to know the will of God. Now, we all know that passage, but most people forget about Romans 12.3. Now, immediately following upon that, Paul says, I gave you all these wonderful gifts, gave you all these great things, but don't forget about this. Don't think too highly of yourselves. Now, today, people are transitioning. What they need to be doing is transforming. And if you don't think that you, you know, and people have asked me, what is all this stuff about all this transitioning and this, that, and the other? Well, I want to tell you what it is. It's the ultimate form of rebellion. Exactly what it is, the ultimate form of rebellion. I'm not going to be what God created me to be, so I'm going to transition. Well, what we need to do is I know that I'm not what God wants me to be. I want to transform. I want to be exactly what God wants me to be spiritually. And so now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to look at what Paul says and how Paul uses this. Uh, Paul is is, uh, going to bring himself into the fray and use himself as an example. So in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, Paul is going to give us a very clear view of what an apostle actually is. And now we looked at the mystery managers in verses 1 through 5. Now let's look at verses 6 down through verse number 13. The last section, Paul's going to say, I'm your father in the faith. So Paul's going to say, and here's here's our outline. This is how I got it right out of the text. If you'll look in verse 4-2, he says, In this regard, it is expected of managers that each one be found faithful. I talked about last week what it means to be a faithful mystery manager. And then I will point this out when we get to verse uh, number 9. He says, now, verse 6, But brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the saying, Nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. Paul's still dealing with these, these four chapters about picking people, preachers, uh, heroes that aren't of the faith, people that aren't. He said, don't worry about preacher worship, just, just be humble. And so then he says, now, watch verse 7, teach you how to read your Bible as we go. Look for the who, what, and the why. So he says, don't go beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. For who, who makes you so superior? What, 
do you have that you didn't receive, if in fact you did receive it? And then why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? And you are already full. Now, the sarcasm is on right here. Now, catch the sarcasm in here. There's two things that pastor wants to teach you today about this text. One, Paul talks about uh, a type, and he uses, a, he uses some allegories, some euphemisms. And so when the Bible does that, it tells you what it's doing. Paul says, I use this as an example, a figure. Now Paul is going to use sarcasm. If you don't understand that Paul is being uh, glorified spiritual sarcasm, you'll interpret the passage wrong. That's why the context is so important. And so Paul says to them in verse number 8, You're already full. You're already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that you could also reign with the, we could also reign with you. You could reign with us. And so, for I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world. Ah, so you want to be a leader? You want to be an apostle? Here's what Paul says. If you want to be a, a, a leader, here's what happens. You, you have to be in last place. He says, uh, we're condemned to die. We're a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. Paul says, we're being watched from heaven and on earth. We're fools for Christ. But you are wise in Christ. You are weak. Do you hear the sarcasm? He says, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry, we're thirsty, we're poor, we're clothed roughly, we're roughly treated, uh, we're homeless, we labor working with our own hands, and when we're reviled, we bless, and when we are persecuted, we endure it, when we are slandered, we respond graciously. And even now, we are like the world's garbage or dung. He says, like the dirt everyone scrapes off of their sandals. That's the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So Paul says, listen, you, you want to be, be a big shot in the ministry? Here's what it is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus. Paul says, listen, don't hold Paul or Apollos or, or Peter or any of your leaders. Don't put them on a pedestal. Now, don't hear me say that we're not supposed to have respect for people. I, I, we, we should have respect for the police and firemen and pastors and, and people that have worked hard and they deserve our respect and honor. The Bible says, give honor unto whom honor is due, but no worship, none whatsoever. And so Paul brings himself into the fray. So the first verse, in verse number 6, Paul says, uh, I, I want to use this example. Many times a personal example is better than anything. So when I preach to you, often preachers are always looking for illustrations to, to make their point. The best illustrations have always been what happens to you. So teachers, when you're teaching or you're trying to teach your kids, give them an example. But give one that happened to you. And because you were there, Amen. Sometimes people ask me, well, how do you know you're saved? I said, well, I was there when it happened. You all all right? And so <laughs> Paul's actually going back right here. He's going back to chapter 1, verse 10, 11, and 12, and he says, listen, no preacher worship. The divisions in the church in Corinth, the, the rivalries, the divisions, Paul says, don't do that. The Corinthians were folks who loved philosophy. They liked important people. They liked big-time politicians, and they were into human, uh, human wisdom. That was the Greek culture of the day. And Paul all of a sudden comes along, and I want to tell you, and says, listen, uh, this is the man-made wisdom, no good. And so Paul... Uh, 
you can take what he said and translate it to 2023 right now. We have people who are, I mean, we have a television show on TV, uh, The American Idol. And I understand what they're trying to say, but they tell these kids, boy, if you make it to the final ten, you're going to be set for life. I want to tell you, you can be millionaires, but if you don't have Christ, if all you have is human wisdom, you don't have anything. We're big today about worshiping athletes. And so as long as a guy or person's from Hollywood or they're an athlete, they can say some of the dumbest things in the world and get away with it. We want spiritual wisdom out of the Word of God. And Paul says, you want to be one of these types of people that's literally connected Connected in with the Lord, he said, your life's going to change. So Paul's going to contrast the pride of the Corinthians by them choosing people to worship and saying, I'll take this person over that person. And Paul's going to contrast that with the life of what an apostle actually is. Now, that's our context. So notice with me, Paul says, so I I thought about, well, maybe we should just entitle this message, uh, So You Want to Be an Apostle. And, I, and I'm getting at something because there's a lot of people today, a lot of pastors that like to be called reverend. They like to be called doctor uh, sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. They like to be called bishop. They like to be, they like to be the presbyteros. They like to be apostles. Well, here's what Paul says a true servant of Jesus Christ is like. Here, your pastor's on the hot seat today. Y'all all right? And so enjoy it. Say, hey, buddy, this is, this is on you. But also, if you're a leader, if you're a Christian, Paul says, you're on display with me, you okay? And so here are three good translations of this verse, and I like this. And I'm setting this up because I have something to teach you after we, we get to this, and I want to teach you this, and I pray, listen, if there was one lesson uh, outside of your salvation experience that I could teach you, this would be it. What I just said was in a moment, you're going to hear something very important that I want you to know above all else. Because many of you read your Bible incorrectly. Many of you have a relationship with God that's based on visions and dreams and voices and, and all kinds of things. And angel people are into angel worship today. And I want to tell you, the Scripture says right here, Paul says, don't go beyond what's written. And I want to show you, if anything that you think, say, or do contradicts the Word of God, It's wrong. Y'all say amen. All right, now look, Paul says here, 1 Corinthians 4, 6. And these things, this is the KJV. He says, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Paulus. Paul identifies, listen, Paul is going to use himself and Apollos as examples. He tells you in the text, the context says, I'm using figures of speech. You know the sarcasm's coming. And so Paul identifies that. You know, in Galatians, Paul talks about the bondwoman and the free woman. Paul tells you the word literally, the Greek word for allegory is in that text. So you can't start allegorizing the text. Many preachers will take the text and they'll allegorize it. And they'll start every little symbol, every little thing in the text refers to something else. No, it doesn't. Even the book of Revelation, when you get to the book of Revelation and you see the symbolism, there's something in the Old Testament that will identify that symbolism. And people say, well, I don't understand the book of Revelation. Yes, you do. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And all the symbolism that's there is found in the Old Testament somewhere. We have a clue. We have a key to understanding it. In the easy-to-read version, I like this little version. It explains a lot of things. This text says, brothers and sisters, I've used Apollos and myself as examples for you. 
I did this so that you could learn from us the meaning of the words. Follow what the Scripture says, and then you will not brag about one person or criticize another. He tells you point blank this word, this Greek word, is translated as an example. Paul tells you he's using an example. The NASU updated says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to the text so that you may learn not to do these things. And so when Paul uses this phrase, don't go beyond what is written. What Paul is about to do in the rest of this book, he's fixing, he is, that's a good southern term if y'all don't know what that is. He's about to, he's fixing to, he's about to drop the theological hammer. When he gets to chapter 5, he's going to hit sexual immorality, and Paul's going to start answering questions that they wrote to him and said, hey, what about these things? And you're going to learn the, the Greek phrase, peri day. And Paul's going to go through, and in English is translated now concerning. And so we're going to start talking about sexual immorality, uh, the place of women. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about all kinds of things, that, and he's going to say now concerning those things. And Paul's setting them up, and he's saying, listen, don't go beyond what is written. And stop putting one preacher on a pedestal above another. And so Paul says, don't go beyond what is written. So I think he's looking back at what he said in the first four chapters, and he's looking ahead to what's coming. <clears throat> if there's one thing that I could teach you concerning your Bible that you're holding in your hand right now, if I could just tell you, understand the context, don't go beyond what's written. When we don't have the understanding that we need and your pastor has to preach that uh, passage, here's what I do as your pastor. I will come before you and I will say, this is my opinion. Okay, I'll identify that. And you say, Brother Jerry, is that really true? And I say, yeah, Paul does the same thing. Paul will say, hey, I, not the Lord. Paul will say, I didn't get, I didn't get any word from the Lord on this, but here's a good Christian educated guess. But once Paul did that and put it in the Scripture, it became Scripture. You all right? But I can't do that because I'm not the Apostle Paul. And so he says in the previous letter, you'll remember again, there was a previous letter in a, in a few chapters. You're going to see that. Paul says, in the previous letter, I wrote you this. So there was a previous letter, 1 Corinthians. They still didn't respond. Paul gives them a severe letter, and then you get 2 Corinthians. So actually, four letters written. I wish we could find those other two. It would be awesome. But Paul's goal is always and always has been, Paul says, don't go beyond what is written. Paul's idea is restoration. Did you hear, Pastor? Every time there's division, and Paul says everything that's coming is for your benefit so that we can bring about restoration in your lives. Now, some folks may misunderstand me on this, so I want to clarify. When I tell you that there are times that you're going to have, be at odds with somebody who's sinning and they don't stop sinning, you cannot forgive that sin because they're continuing it. If you do, you're condoning the behavior. Let me put it very clearly to you. A husband or a wife is being unfaithful to their spouse, and they say, I forgive you, restoration takes place. But if the other spouse keeps doing it over and over again, you can't forgive something. <laughs> you can't forgive something that somebody keeps doing. You're asking me to do something God won't even do. God forgives us 70 times 7, or as long as it takes, as long as you repent. But if you repent, can I just say this? You won't keep repeating it. Yeah. Do you know how 
aggravating it is to go to the Lord with the same old sin and say, Lord, you know, I lost my temper again. But thank God that restoration's there. Thank God that he loves us that much. And so Paul says, I'm using this. It's a meta, he says, meta schematizo. And it means with and figure. Paul says, I'm using this as a figure of speech to you. And I'm using us as an illustration to show you that we as apostles are no better than you are. Come come on, y'all. Listen to me. I rode by a little church the other day, and I'm going to close this message with an illustration. It's going to knock your socks off. You're going to understand it. And I want to tell you, I've seen little churches. I've seen big churches. And if there's a man who's pastoring 10 people, and that's the people that God gave him, he's as good or better than I am or anyone else who has 40,000 members. You know why? Because that's where God called him. You see, because I'm not better because I have more people or I got a bigger building. Because there's always somebody with a bigger building and more people. Y'all say amen. There's some pastors. Listen, I want to tell you, there's people that preach on the street that when we get to heaven, you may find out that the Lord may say, Brother Jerry, if I gave that guy what I gave you by grace, man, he'd have changed the whole world. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Y'all all right? Paul says, don't worship men he says, I'm, Paul says, I'm using this. I have figuratively applied this. Paul uses himself as an example. And notice this. I want to teach you this. Look in your text. Paul says, so that I, I'm applying these lessons from myself. Now, the preacher shouldn't use himself as an example all the time. You get tired of hearing about my life. But when I can make you understand that you and I both have the same kind of shoes on and the same kind of britches on, and when I got up this morning and I looked in the mirror, there was a human being looking back at me, just like you. And if there's an example I can use to you to encourage you to say, hey, it's okay, you're human. Let's just dust yourself off, ask for forgiveness, and move on, okay? Repent and do the same. And Paul says, I want to teach you this. And Paul says, so that. When you see so that in the scripture, it's a little Greek word called henna. And henna refers to purpose. And so when you see so that, the Holy Spirit is giving you truth so that for the purpose of so that you can get the truth and change. And so Paul says, I'm using us as an example for the purpose of teaching you so that you may learn from us the saying, don't go beyond what is written. And if you, I'm telling you, Paul felt this way about this passage too. He says, so that it would be the benefit of learning not to go beyond what is written in the Scripture. So that, listen, and here's what Paul is saying. If you go beyond what is written in the Scripture, you prove that you're arrogant. You think that you know better than God and His Word. Whoo! Well, say, I don't like the way that's written. I don't like the way it's come. I don't like the truth that's there. I'm going to change that. That fits me a little bit better. I'm going to compromise the truth of God's Word so my people will feel comfortable. No, you just went beyond what is written. And in your arrogance, in your arrogance, there's a preacher I know got 40,000 members that says the Old Testament is irrelevant. He's arrogant. And he'll stand before the Son of God one day and the true, inspired, infallible, verbal, plenary Word of God will still be there. That just drives me crazy. And then Paul uses this classic 
heart-stabbing use of language by Paul. He uses the word fusio, and it's the word for inflated, proud, puffed up. It's the word for germination. I remember one time I wanted to kind of see. I just had planted a bunch of seeds, and I wanted to see what was going on down there in the dirt. And I had been reading. I learned this word in another passage, and I thought, well, I want to understand this word a little better. And I, dug, I didn't give it time, and I just went ahead and dug dirt around it and looked down at that little seed, and that little seed was just swollen up. And forgive my language, but it looked like a zit. It just had all kind of goofy, nasty-looking stuff in there. But right at the bottom, here's what it had. It had a little root coming out of it. And see, I don't know how this happens, but the Lord said if a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it'll produce. And so that seed, that little seed was in the process of inflating itself and dying. And when it died, and that little pocket or whatever that stuff was, I think somehow or another it was nutrition for the little, for the little root that came out. And the, Lord, and the Lord grew up a piece of corn out of that. And that's what this is. But Paul uses it as a negative illustration. He said, these folks who think they know better than God's Word and they go beyond what is written, they're like that little seed. They're just like a puffed up zit. That ought to get in your mind and stay there for a while. He says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And listen, in Hebrews 12, 15, see that no root of bitterness grows up in your heart and defile many. You see, that's what happens to them. They get defiled. And then now, don't, don't let pride cause divisions. If you feel it swelling up or you get puffed up, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Don't, get to, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Now, you see, the liberals and the unbelievers say, you know, them Christians, they're just depressed. They walk around all the time talking about how sorry they are. Oh, no, I know how sorry I am. There's a difference in being puffed up or depressed and knowing the need of the heart. And I want to tell you, I'm a saint in the Lord Jesus Christ. I dealt with that on the cross. And Paul says, I'm all right. When you see all the things in this text that happened to Paul the apostle, you're going to know without a shadow of a doubt that Paul had a good self-esteem about himself. And Paul was ready to go. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. It didn't matter what happens to me this morning. I'm sad for the Aldrich family, but I want to tell you something. I believe this book, and I know where Brother Ronnie is today. I know where your grandfather's going to be when he dies. He's not going to die and rot the grave he's going to heaven get excited up in here in a minute look at verse number seven look for these things the kjv the niv the esv every one of them use the same translation and they got this right here it's beautiful paul describes these folks to a t we will look at it it's the who the what and the why the corinthians felt that they were superior to other people and i don't know anything that will make you feel worse or me worse than when someone looks at you and they look down their nose at you over their glasses and they think you're just not worthy enough to be in their presence we, here's what we say you think you're better than me don't you you think you're better than everybody else and i want to tell you Nobody likes somebody like that. Nobody likes somebody like that because we know. We know. I've had, I mean, I've had folks come to Woodlake and say, to me, this is honest truth, they say, we came from a denomination. We weren't allowed to talk to our pastor. We weren't allowed to hang out with the, the, the leadership. We couldn't talk to the deacons. God tell you, that's not a shepherd. A shepherd 
is a sheep first. Then he's a shepherd. He's managing sheep. He's managing the mysteries of God. And he better do it in a humble fashion because he's made out of the same thing that the sheep are made out of. Amen? The Greek, Paul says, why? Look, the Greek word is diakrino, which means to judge. In your text, it could be translated for who makes you so superior. Well, who made you so high and mighty? The word for makes right there is translated by the Holman Christian Standard Bible as makes. Some of your some of yours may who may say, Who who allowed you to judge everybody else? I ask you a question. Who did that? Who basically the text says, who gives you the right to act superior and judge other people's worthiness? Paul actually changes right here. You remember earlier on I said Paul changed to the all the you's in the text in chapter 3 and 15 and following were plural. It's the southern y'all, you, y'all, second person plural. Paul right here in this verse, for who makes you? Paul goes back to the singular use of you in the text. In other words, here's what I think. I think Paul literally had somebody in mind. He's calling somebody out. Y'all, y'all all right? I mean, he's, he's thinking, I, you know, you, you, every pastor knows that person who's just high and mighty, and they know, they think they're better than everybody else. And I want to tell you, they're headed for a, they're for a fall. The Bible says pride comes before destruction. And so I think Paul's dealing with that. Listen to this translation from several he says, from several scholars, that they translate this verse like this. Who makes you different from anybody else? Who regards you as superior? For who makes you so superior? Who, can, who concedes you are or have any superiority? Who defines you? Who elevates you to the place of rightful boasting? Who's given you the right to assume a position of such arrogance? Who makes these determinations about your exalted status? I like that one. You do. What kind of self-delusion is it that allows you to put yourself in a position to judge other people? Here's how we say it. Who do you think you are? Can I tell you, who comes to mind when you think of somebody like that? Me, one, and secondly, Donald Trump. You know why he lost the second election? Because God set him up in the first one. And he got so prideful, he thought he was better than everybody else, and God put him down. Boom. Look at him now. See, God raises up and sets down anybody he wants. But humility will be a good thing for your character. Notice the second question is, he says, well, who, who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? Somebody give glory to God. See, if you got it from somewhere else, you didn't do it yourself. I got a lot of money, I got a lot of land, I got all this stuff going on. No, you don't. You don't have anything. You're going to go the same way we all go. No U-Hauls will ever be found behind the hearse. You ain't taking anything with you. You brought nothing when you got here. You're a steward. What did Paul say? I'm a mystery manager. I'm a manager. I'm a steward until the Lord comes to get me. Look at the third question. The third question, not only who... Who, what did you get that you didn't receive it? If, in fact, you did receive it. Oh, man, I like that. If you did receive it, what is Paul saying? Paul says, you don't have anything because you're, you're lost. You didn't, get, you didn't get that by the grace of God because you didn't get any grace from God. You're lost. You can talk to a man a few minutes, and you can know whether he knows Jesus or not. Can you not? He'll give glory to God in a minute. If he doesn't, you'll know he's lost. Then the third is... Why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? 
You're, <laughs> why did you boast as if you didn't receive it? If you know that you received it from the Lord, or if you didn't, no, no, <laughs> no preacher worship, no idol worship. It's okay to respect your preacher, give him encouragement, help him, but he's not your God. And he surely didn't give you grace. Amen? My devotion this week, Spurgeon talked about all the things that God has given us. You can tell. What if I ask you, is there anybody here would like to take claim and responsibility for their salvation? Anybody? I can tell you who you belong to real quickly. I can ask you about the grace of God in your life and say, did, did, how many of y'all got faith on your own? No, nobody? Did you get the atonement on your own? You wouldn't never say that. A Christian would never say that. We give glory to the one who loved us. Paul says, hey, how come you acting? How come you guys are acting like you're more superior than everybody else? Because you got your own grace. No, you didn't get your own grace. Don't. <laughs> Taylor says in the NAC commentary, boasting implies human achievement and, a, and fails to recognize the free grace of God. Uh, in Revelation 19.10, the scripture says this, uh, where John was seeing the angel, and he was so blown away by what he told him and showed him, he bowed down to worship. And the angel said, worship God, get up. I'm a servant just as you are. In verses 8 and 9, Paul transitions now back to the second person plural. He's talking to the entire church in verse 8 and 9. And he says, he starts, the, I mean, the sarc sarcasm is on. He says this, and you, you know these people, you know them. He says, they're full. They said, we're full. We already have everything that we need right here. We're good to go. Uh, he says, you, you, uh, you're full. You're already full. You're rich. You reign as kings without us. In other words, literally, the Greek text literally says they had enough spiritual food. They got full. They said, we got it. We got it. Well, I understand it all. I had a man tell me one time, listen, <laughs> I almost fell out of my chair. He said, well, I ain't never read nothing in the Bible I didn't understand. I almost fell out. I thought, well, you're doing better than all the great scholars that have ever lived because you can study it forever. You know what a man said to me? I don't have the Holy Spirit in me to reveal the truth. I don't know how deep this really is. I'm already full. Paul, with scathing irony, contrasts the present sufferings of the apostles to these people, he's using sarcasm. He, Paul is saying, I'm doing all of this and learning everything I can and following Jesus and doing these things, but you're already full. They were saying that they had all the spiritual food that they need. The, the Greek word here is, is a word that means to be a glut, to sate, to be full, or to eat enough. Is it, you know why y'all came to church this morning? Brother Jerry has studied hard, and he's going to feed us. That's why you came. And you want the book. You don't care about three points in a poem from Brother Jerry. You want the book. Amen? And this is the living bread. Jesus was the living bread. I want to feed you the Word of God. Because guess what? Right now, I am full for this moment. We, we, we would eat a big meal, and, and my mother-in-law would say, Whew, I'm never eating again. <laughs> about two hours later, we'd all be in the kitchen eating cake. Y'all you know what I'm saying? We, we're full of the Spirit, but we got a problem. We leak, and we have to keep, get, we have to keep eating. Y'all with me? The Corinthians says, we got enough. We, we've already eaten. He says, we're rich. We have all the material goods that we want. I've been listening to the philosophers, and I understand everything. No, Paul says, no, you're not rich. You're bankrupt. 
you're, with, you're without hope. And then they said, we're kings. And Paul sarcastically uses the word uh, basileus. It's the word for kingdom or king. And so Paul says, hey, I, oh, wait, wait a minute. I forgot. Y'all are reigning as kings without us. Paul says, I led you people to Christ. But you all now, you're full. And now you're rich and you're kings. In verse, in verse number 9, the word dokeo is the word I think. Paul says, I suppose... Paul says, verse 9, I suppose, Paul says, I thought about this thing, and I suppose, for I think, I suppose that God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and men. Paul says, here you are, you're not apostles, but you guys, you're, you're full, you're rich, you're kings, you've done all these wonderful things, and here we are. Boy, you guys are something. I wish you had let us reign with you. Paul says, uh, man, I, I'm of certain. He, Paul says, I think about this, of certain reputation. Paul says the apostles are seen this way as being on display for their suffering, being in last place compared to men. We're going to die. Paul is a servant. He's not a cult leader. He's not a famous philosopher. Paul never went and pastored a church. He started a church, moved on. His job was an apostle to share Christ with the world. He didn't sell any books. He didn't have a tape ministry. He didn't have a following. He didn't have bodyguards. Paul was sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, we're a spectacle. This verse, the title of the message, the Greek word is theatron. We get our word theater from that. Paul says, it's like my life is on the big screen. And I'm showing you how to do it. God's blessing me. God's using me. And no matter what happens, I'm crucified with Christ. And whatever God brings my way, I'm okay with it. I'm going to live with it. He says in verse 10, look, Josh, here's your word again, Josh. We're, we're morons. That's not politically correct, but it's a Greek word. The Greek word is moros. Paul says, I'm a fool for Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, I'd rather be a fool for Jesus Christ than the king in the White House. I want to be humble. I want to know everything that I have came from God, acknowledge that it came from God, and don't act like it didn't. And so when I tell you, and I've had people before, I'm just a, somebody called me a dumb redneck with a little education one time. A person with me was so offended. They were like, that makes me so mad for them talking about my pastor like that. I said, you know, that actually was a compliment to me. <laughs> Rednecks are the only people in the world today that don't get offended by anything. And I want to tell you, listen, listen, I'm serious. God is my witness, I'm serious. If God can take a country boy out of South Augusta who was just a redneck, and get him a little education and use him for the glory of God, amen, I'll take it. Preacher one day complaining about how much money he made. Another preacher said, you ain't worth, you ain't worth what they're paying you now. He really got mad then. <laughs> Can I tell you, you ever known a baseball player is worth all the money he's making? He's throwing a cotton-picking ball. That's it, hitting a ball. And they do it well. It's not eternal. It's not August. Harvest ain't in yet. 
I'll get mine later. Y'all right? Y'all all right? Verse 3. You can be a Corinthian in this world, but when the Son of Man comes, it won't make any difference. Verse 11 through 13. Paul says, <clears throat> I want to challenge you. The great apostle says, let's compare who you are to who I am. You want to be an apostle? Paul says, I'm hungry. Well, God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I'm so tired of hearing people quote that. They don't have any idea of the context of that passage. You don't understand need until you get hungry. You don't understand thirst until you don't have anything to drink. To think that we're so good and so precious that God won't withdraw something from us that we need in order to teach us a spiritual lesson that's eternal is, is silly. I want to tell you, God supplied my every need. He has always fed me. The Bible says, the, the Lord says, I've never seen the, the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. But if you think that there are not times in my life that God took things away from me that I need to get my attention... Let me tell you, he will do that. Paul says, I've been hungry, been thirsty, I'm poorly clothed. Here's the great apostle Paul. I hope this breaks your heart. This is the great apostle Paul that wrote 90% of the New Testament and has taught us so much. We wouldn't have a clue. Without the book of Acts and the apostle Paul, the entire New Testament wouldn't make any sense to us. We've, God's been good to us through the Apostle Paul. And Paul, here's the man of God says, I don't even have the right clothes. The, word, the Greek word means stripped, poorly clad, naked. He says, I've been treated roughly. I've been buffeted. Paul had been hit and beaten. Now, I've had some people get pretty close to hitting me. But I've never been beat up for my faith. And I don't care to be beat up for my faith. But I ain't backing up if I do. You all right? Paul said Paul was hit. He was pushed around. Listen to this. Homeless. Did, did you see that? Paul said, I don't have a place to live. I am homeless. means no certain dwelling. Our missionaries that we, that we give to and serve to, they're homeless. They're not in their home. Many of them have houses here they're not living in. They're renting them out to be on the, on the mission field to share Jesus Christ. Hard labor. Paul says, we had to work with our two hands. Well, how'd he do? Businesses today going bankrupt because he can't get workers. Paying people 20 bucks an hour to flip hamburgers and can't get anybody in the door. America is going to pay that bill. Reviled. The word for reviled in the original means reproach, vilify, abused, blackguarded. A 15th century word for menial tasker or a scoundrel. It was used as a a euphemism as an ugly word for people. The menial worker of a kitchen or a household. Scurrilous language. An unprincipled, contemptible person. Paul was literally called the scum of the earth. He says, but we blessed when we were persecuted. We endured it all, he says. We've been slandered and we give grace. You slander me and watch what happens. The flesh will well up in a heartbeat, and I'll cut you off at the knees. And then the Holy Spirit will say, hey, Jerry, whoa, 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 whoa. You all right? That's how we act. Paul says, I've been to, Paul's like, I don't have a job. I don't have a home. I'm trying to share the gospel. He didn't get on Delta and fly to these cities. I mean, just think of what kind of life, a vagabond life, 
for you and I to have the New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in any kind of translation language we want. He says, we've been slandered. Listen, he says, I'm garbage. The Greek word means dung. Uh, uh, To clean off the trash from a surface, to clean the pig pen, that's what this word means. Paul says, you go out and look at the pig pen, that's, that's where I'm at. That's what we've been enduring. And then this last part just literally just breaks my heart. It says, we're, and they, the Holman Christian puts it this way, even now we're like the, world, the world's garbage, like dirt off of someone's sandals that's scraped off. This Greek word is so specific, it, it literally refers to a person rinsing or scraping off a dirty vessel, the washing of an area of scum. It's like you went out and you butchered a hog and all the stuff that's left on the table, the slop and everything else, and you scrape it off the table. That's this word. It's also used of someone who has been wearing sandals and and they would take the sandal off and literally go through very crudely, but sometimes you're walking in the yard and you step on something and you can't get it out of your shoe. And you literally have to go and squirt it with the hose, and sometimes in the grooves, take a little stick and wipe all the stuff out of it. That's the scum of the earth. Paul says, I'm compared, literally, I'm, a, I'm crucified with Christ, and if the Lord Jesus wants me to be the scum of the earth to use me for his glory, I'm on board. God be the glory. You see... If we don't recognize this, we're literally no better than the Corinthians. Now listen, I was teaching through 2 Timothy one time in Sunday school. Some of you in this room may have been there that morning. And we got to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul begins to describe his life. And Paul says this, I'm by myself. I'm in jail. says, when you come, bring my coat I left in Troas. I don't even have my coat. I'm, I'm cold. I'm an old man. He says, bring my books. Bring my parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, he's done me harm. Watch out for Demas. I cut him loose. He went out to Satan. This man was in a jail in Rome all by himself. I'm going to tell you with every fiber of my being, God's going to reward that man. And when we get to heaven, everybody says, I'm going to look everybody up. I want to see Jesus first. The next person I want to see is Paul the Apostle. And then I want to see my grandmother. I just can't wait to go all through heaven seeing the people. But I want to tell you, this will be a special day when I see Paul the Apostle and say, You joker. You, whew. Boy, you put up with it. You went through it. And not only that, listen to this, Acts 9, 15, and 16, the Lord told him ahead of time. Listen. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You look back in verse 3, chapter 4, 
This is how you read your Bible. This is how you get this. Watch. This is how you understand the text. Paul said to it, you said, I didn't understand this verse. Paul said, it's of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by anyone else in a human court. I don't even evaluate myself. Paul says, I don't care what y'all think of me. You know why? This man was crucified with Jesus. Look at all the stuff that Paul went through. You think a little criticism to hurt his feelings was going to change his mind? That man was moving out for the Lord Jesus. You know, and all, this comes by grace and through age. You have to learn to get there, but it, it's a beautiful thing. On page 123 of the NAC commentary, Taylor said, The world's opinion of the apostle may be summed up in two phrases translated by the NIV as scum of the earth and the refuse of the world. Terms used metaphorically for anything contemptible. Paul says, I sighed, I'll be contemptible for Jesus. And preachers today getting their robes and going to pulpit, call themselves apostles and bishops and everything else. And every time you call me Shep, it goes right in my heart. Because I want to be with you. Because I love you. And I want to whip hell together with you. I want to see Jesus. And no matter what happens to me, you give glory to God. Sanford introduced me to a friend of his. His name is Michael Tackwood. And uh, somebody knows Michael. This is a man who was way behind in life. Couldn't read, couldn't write. He was something that you would look at and say, well, this is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. Full of a lot of problems. Sanford knew him in California. Led him to Jesus. Got him hooked up with the Son of God. And boy, did he get hooked up. He learned to read, learned to write, learned to read his Bible. There were times Sanford just read it to him so he could get it, explained it to him, discipled him. Y'all know what he does now? He goes out on the street in California and confronts people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what happens to him? People spit on him. They call him every name in the book right to his face. They throw things at him. They hit him in the face. They hit him in the head. They beat him up. You know what he does the next day? He goes to work and goes to the street. When we get to heaven, he may find out that Michael Packwood is a better apostle than all of us. God may look at him and he convicted my heart. I've talked to him a couple of times on the phone. He's a brother in Christ. I hope he'll see this and I hope he knows that we're behind him. And that we're praying for him. We're asking God to protect him. But you know what? Come what may, he, he's a modern day Apostle Paul. He doesn't care because he's crucified with Jesus Christ. If you're going to be a leader in the army of God, you just have to be crucified with Jesus. Come what may, I'm going to serve my master. I want to be humble. I want to be a servant. 
I want to be used. A lot of people paint this beautiful picture for you, and it is a beautiful picture to come to know Jesus. But when you come to Christ, you forsake everything, and you're all in. Would you do that today? Would you come and say, Brother Jerry, I want to be all in for Christ. I want to give him my heart, and I want to be his servant, and I want to be humble. I want to change. I'll tell you, come what may, for 40 years, I'm a satisfied customer. He's, he, he will give you the Holy Spirit in your heart to prove to you that you're a child of God. Maybe you're here this morning, you thought, well, today I'm going to join Woodlake. And just, I tell you, I love these folks. You need a pastor, you need a church family. Come on, join us. And maybe you just need to come to the altar. You do, pray for Michael Tackwood. Pray for him. Pray for all the preachers that are out there. There are some good preachers still out there, and they're preaching the gospel. Some of them in big churches, some, some of them in small churches, some of them on the street. And just ask God to let them be what the Lord called them to be. Let's stand to our feet. Father, we